Are you ready for the weekend yet? We have events, news, and a guest for you to enjoy this Lake Life weekend. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lake Life Weekend Podcast. I'm Dirk and I'm your host. Thank you for tuning in to this weekend 10 approaching. And uh, it's going to be warm. Uh, we're going to have uh, water, uh, snow melting and ice getting thinner. Uh, I believe there's no fish houses left on the lakes. And um, spring feels like it has sprung. So great. I'm in a good mood as you can hear. Thank you for tuning in. And this week we have... Uh, a special program from the DNR. We are very fortunate to have such a good relationship ship with um, Nate Olthen, who comes for the third time to us to record uh, a Minnesota DNR fishery update. And this time he brought a new team member, um, Nick Klute, from the office in uh, Becker County. And uh, we learn about uh, the recent fish um, stories they have in our local area but also a very very interesting program and a study um, that uh, Nick is spearheading uh, on the Red River about catfish and um, technology and uh, really really interesting things about uh, the work of the DNR in our area so stay tuned for that um, go to our website lakelifeweekend.com for more stories updates and also please don't forget that our lake life season kickoff party is coming presented to you from choice bank on march 20th thank you for our sponsors there's a whole bunch a big list go to explorelakelife.com and you will feel you will find the complete program on our um, special party night Doors open at 5, we have music live on stage at 6, uh, crop dusters, a pre-show, and then we also have a beanbag tournament uh, presented to you by Grain Designs. We have um, a disc golf challenge, and then we have a food court, we have a Fargo Brewing Company release party, lots, lots, lots of things. And our main act live on stage is going to be Tripwire at 8 p.m. So we hope to see you in Fargo on March 20th in a couple of weeks. Uh, starting at 5 p.m. for our Lake Life season kickoff party. Everything online as well. Well, I don't want to keep this much longer from our interview part about the DNR fishery update 2020. Thanks again for tuning in. Feel free to email me to hello at lakelifeweekend.com with ideas and uh, any sorts of suggestions. And now to our interview part. Thank you. Have a great weekend ahead.
Welcome to our interview part. I'm here with the DNR and with uh, Nathan Olson and Nick Klut. Um, this is the third time I am able to do a fishery report, fishery update. And uh, Nathan uh, came uh, in our first year, in our second, and now in our third year. And he brought um, Nick as the newest member to the Becker County DNR office, I understand. And he will give us a little insight about uh, Red River and the science of uh, the water streams. And you, Nathan, decided to, or like, uh, came prepared uh, to give us an, an update on the recent past and then on what's happening this summer um, locally with the fish. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you guys for coming. And then um, you introduce yourself in a little bit. And Nathan, why don't we just jump right in? Yeah. So it has been a little bit since we've been here. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of uh, recap what we what happened this last year, um, kind of work through uh, the season a little bit. Uh, usually in the spring, it starts with our walleye egg take. And so I'm sure many people have been down to Dutton Locks. At, and at Melissa, yep, Sally. Yep. Uh, Sal it's between Sally and Muskrat there at, at the county park. And, um, and we had a great egg take this last spring. Uh, one change that people might see coming up this, this next spring is we do have a different dock system. So for many years, we built that dock out of wood. Yeah, I saw it. So, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's, very, um, it's very old and reminiscent of olden days when you see that. Uh, we've kind of upgraded that now to a more of a floating plastic kind of aluminum style dock. And so uh, we do have a work cut out for us this year to try to get that put into place and figured out how that's going to work. Um, but it, I think it's going to be way faster and, and easier for us to put together than to screw all that, that wood in place. Hopefully um, also safer. And, and hopefully safer, yep. Um, it's a bigger platform, so there's less chance of people falling off. We've It rarely happens that someone falls, but it has happened before. Um, and so hopefully with a little bit bigger platform, we got a little bit more room to work. So If I may ask real quick, um, because I've been there with my son, and I think it's a great event. It's almost a family event. Um, the, the community comes and watches you. It's usually like, I think, a two, three day span, and it's always at a certain time after ice melts or, right? Yeah, I mean, our average uh, start time is around the middle of April, so maybe April 17th, but it has gone as early as the end of March. And so, you know, it could be in one month if, if all of a sudden, spring comes early like mm. the groundhog says it may yeah um, i heard that we, too <laughs> yes you know then then uh then we could be out there working already so awesome. um we hope that it it only takes us like a week to get it done mm. um but uh, there has been times where it's been two weeks that we've been really? sitting there uh just because the weather's been weird and the fish aren't aren't present uh, and it just takes us longer to get our quota for eggs and a question like uh how many people are in, engaged involved like how many people help is it um usually the magic number is probably around seven people on the okay. on the platform um basically a lot of people think well more is better but a lot of times it just gets to be too many people out there and moving around and right um you know so at least with the old platform in the dock system it was about seven people so mm. usually we try to keep it to that yeah okay cool looking yep. forward to that yeah so um um so we had a great egg take, which led to meeting our quotas for walleye fry, which yeah. so we, we have a hatchery there. So we hatch those, they turn into fry, which are about the size of a mosquito. And then we stock those into lakes or we stock those into small wetlands, which we call rearing ponds. There's um, some by your offices. Yeah. So we've got them spread out all in Clay County, Becker County, kind of um, all over the place. We operate about 30 ponds. Mm. Um, and so when fall rolls around, you know, those fish have been in there growing almost all summer. And then in fall, we go back to those ponds to harvest those, those, we call them fingerlings. fingerlings by then. Yep. So they're about five to six inches long by that time. 
and uh, we had a great year for that too last fall. Um, uh, we we stocked over uh, 5,500 pounds of of fish, uh, which is about 220,000 fish total. So over two tons. Yeah. So we usually work well. We usually work with uh, in pounds when we yeah. try to do quotas and stuff. But people are like, well, "How many fish is that?" And so it's about 220,000 fish that we actually stocked in different lakes around the area. As fingerlings or as fingerlings and fry? Um, just as fingerlings. So oh, that, really? no, that number is just in fingerlings. If you're talking fry, we're talking millions. Millions. Yes. No kidding. Yep. Yep. So only in Becker County? Uh, Becker, Clay. We uh, my work area goes all the way up to Polk in Red Lake County. So we ah. have we have a suite of lakes. Uh, I have basically five or six counties that we manage the water. Oh, five bodies. or six. Yep. Yep. Uh, so our head office here is not just Becker. It's uh, no, north. No, it goes. Yep, it goes north. So we have a different uh, office in Fergus Falls, and they right. handle Otter Tail County. Um, and so we're kind of at the southern end of our work area. So we kind oh, of go are. all the way over to the North Dakota border and then all the way up to almost Grand Forks, basically. Oh, really? Yep. Yep. So okay. if we, to our to the furthest point of my work area, it easily could be about two-hour drive. Uh, is that Lake of the Woods then already? Nope. Nope. Oh, no. Then that's, then that's Baudette. They've got a whole other office up there then that ah, okay. kind of takes okay. on the Pennington and other counties to the north of there so, so 200 and plus 220,000 yep, fingerlings fish. yep and you deliver them in tanks and plastic bags like I when I go to the pet shop no no we've got yeah we have large transport tanks um, if you're talking fry though we do have basically if anyone sees those collapsible water jugs plastic collapsible water jugs that you take camping we yeah. use those to fill with fry and shoot them with oxygen and water and we take those to transport the fish around and then you dump one yeah, gallon so then, of fry then, into each yeah. Egg. So if it's if it's yeah. So if it's uh, if it's a small quota where it's only like seventy thousand fry, uh, then it might be just one bag that we put in. Interesting. Um, if you're talking a bigger water body like Hide of Land, which is over three thousand acres, then you're talking millions of fry, and then it might be you know twenty bags that you got to take out there. Okay. Okay. So, but very a very interesting process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we had a good harvest in nineteen. Yes, and so. Um, Really what, what kind of dictates whether we have a good walleye pond season like that is whether we have good winters. Because um, then it basically the fish winter kill and we start over. So we start fresh in those ponds. So there's no competition for other food or anything like that. And mm -hmm. so it's looking like this winter is going to be good again to produce some winter kill in those ponds. And then we can start over. It's just basically imagine it like a farm field where instead of having all these weeds out there that you're competing against, it's a fresh field that you can start over with and you have a better chance of getting a better take on, on the fish that we stock. Interesting. Yep. So we want all the previous fish to yep, be gone? Yep, we want all the previous fish to be gone. Uh, some of our, our ponds do have other fish like uh, crappies and, and bluegills and things like that, and so it's great if we can get those out of the ponds as well and just start over. Interesting. Yep. Okay. Um, besides that, during the summer we, we do a number of different surveys, and, and uh, we have about 20 different surveys that we've got to get written this this winter only uh, 20 only 20 um <laughs> the netting like it yep. was part of the netting in yep the fall that's and? yeah netting or doing shoreline surveys or um uh, some little backpack shocking electro shocking looking for small fish mm. um and that was on 24 different lakes you know so we covered a, a decent number of lakes this last summer mm. um and that really is what we kind of tackle all winter is mm. trying to we basically collect data like crazy during the winter or during the summer when we can and then during the winter, then we're just writing up those plans and those surveys, you know, to get ready for the for the next year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, um, kind of looking at the next year, uh, one thing I do want to let people know is is there's been some press out there that we've we're looking at some additional bluegill regulations, um, and so or sunnies as people like to call them. 
And and so really the impetus for all this is is we've done some surveys of anglers and they really they're happy with the number of fish that they're catching. They're just not that thrilled about the size. And so we're hearing a lot of people saying that they wish that the fish were bigger. And one way to do that, Dirk, um, is to try to limit the number of fish that anglers can keep. Um, and so right now, on, if you don't have any special rigs on your lake, you can go out and you can catch 20 bluegills in a day. Mm. Um, and that's your possession limit as well. Unfortunately, this, the, the research says you've got to get down to about five fish per day in order to really move the needle and make uh, the bluegill population to be better. And so um, that is what we are looking at and we'll be proposing for this, uh, this next coming year is a five fish uh, limit on a few lakes in, in Becker County. Per um, day. Per day. So, so it's, going, it's a big jump. It's going from, from 20 to, to five. Um, but we do have research that shows that as you use that regulation, you do see bigger, bigger sunfish in your lake um, over time. Of course, it's not going to happen, you know, like the next year or anything right. like that. Um, Patience, huh? Yep, it might take it might take five or ten years or maybe even twenty on some lakes. It just depends on on the water body and, and what's going on with it. So, um, I just wanted to get that out there so that people basically what will happen is. Um, if we get the blessing through our commissioner's office and stuff, then this spring you'll start seeing yellow signs on certain lakes that will say this is being proposed for a special bluegill regulation. Um, and then there'll be a public comment period and a public meeting later this fall. Already um, for 2020? Yeah. So, and then in fall, so it so put if, in place if, yeah, and if everything, yeah, if everything goes good and everything is goes like it should, then it would be in place for 2021 fishing opener. Mm. But the so. key word, I think, is that you didn't come up with that rule. You were actually listening to the anglers, to the fishermen, saying, yes. like, hey, we would like to. So you were getting information, input, and it's like, okay, we heard you. In order for us to succeed, we need to limits so that they can grow so we're yes. not just making rules and no no we are um the, it's funny because that that survey says they weren't happy with uh with the the size but they weren't quite ready to just do a like a whole statewide limit reduction from 20 to 5 because some people would say well why don't we just make the whole state a five fish limit well they, the anglers weren't quite ready to go that far and so uh the area of supervisors were tasked with looking at certain lakes in their management area and asked what uh, what lakes would this make the most sense to put on, mm -hmm. you know, this regulation on. And so um, we're, we're kind of still working through which lakes we might we might use. Um, but um, once we kind of get that figured out, hopefully people they won't be surprised then that we sure. that they see these signs, because um, if if for some reason it gets hung up and all of a sudden the commissioner signs it and now we're running around putting signs up, it could be a surprise to some people when they come to the access yeah. and see this yellow sign that says, hey, you know, this thing's going to go from a 20 fish limit to five fish limit. Yeah. Um, which again is a big, it's a big change, but the research does show that's what it takes if you want to see, you know, bluegills up to 10 inches. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. yeah and then um, some other stuff that's going to be happening. And that's why I wanted to bring Nick here today was, you know, Nick is our new Red River fishery specialist. And um, we have a ton of stuff that's going on in the Red River this year, and I just wanted to kind of pass it on to him so he can he can share with what's going on and and keep it all straight because I can't remember all of it either. So <laughs> <laughs> introduce yourself uh, just a tiny little bit, Nick. You're you're new to the DNR. Yeah, I'm new to, to the DNR. Um, I come by way of North Dakota and South Dakota. Okay. Um, working in those states previously. And what my job is, is I'm the Red River Fisheries Specialist, which means whereas Nathan basically deals with an entire area and all the lakes within that, I deal only with the Red River 
and the tributaries flowing into the red. One stream, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so South Dakota, North Dakota, now you're hitting all the states fixing <laughs> the Red River. We are the only one missing. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, coming at it from all sides. <laughs> yeah, so this coming summer, uh, we've really got a lot that's going to be happening on the Red River. Um, first and foremost, we have our Channel Catfish Survey. And we do this every five years, and it's a collaborative effort with three different area offices. So you heard Nathan mention that there's an office in Fergus Falls, there's the Detroit Lakes office, and the Bedette office. Mm -hmm. All three of those offices go out and survey channel catfish on the Red River because it's such a large system, you couldn't just have one area do it. What means channel catfish? Just because it's in a stream? Yeah. Instead so, of a lake? Okay. Yeah, so the channel catfish is an actual species of fish. Oh, it is? Yeah, and um, what's interesting about the Red River is it's arguably one of the best channel cat fisheries in North America. Oh, really? Yeah, um, because our growing season is fairly short up here and we have fairly cold water, the fish's metabolism is fairly slow. And you can think of this just like the engine in your car. If you run something slowly and take care of it, it's going to lot last a lot longer highway miles for yeah city miles. exactly <laughs> so our channel cats live Forever. almost to 30 years really yeah and if we were looking at channel cats in the southern united states we'd be lucky to get to eight or nine years interesting so it's a very very unique system so we get out there and we look at the size structure of the channel cats because we have trophy fish there yeah yeah huge monster yeah and so what we're doing is we're keeping an eye on that we also have a creel survey, and this is the angler surveys that some of your listeners might be familiar with, um, where you have a DNR employee at the dock or maybe in a boat come and ask you, you know, how's your fishing day going? Okay. How many fish have you caught? And just, it's, it's an opinion survey, but from it, we're also getting harvest numbers. Okay. And so that's how we kind of do a one-two punch, if you will, on the river. We have the actual scientific survey that the areas are all helping with. And then we have the creel survey, which is looking at angler dynamics and their thoughts on the survey and how many fish they're keeping and what size those fish are. Mm -hmm. So we can get a very complete picture of how that fishery is going every five years. And that's kind of part of our routine monitoring on the Red River of the North. Mm -hmm. But then we have some more special things that are happening this year. And that's where it gets really exciting because I'm a fisheries scientist. And of course, this sort of thing gets me all kinds of jacked <laughs> no, I up. see your eyes are sparkling. <laughs> yeah. Settle down, Nick. I'm excited. Nathan's <laughs> no, excited. It's, true, it's, true. Excited. it's rubbing off on dirt. Yeah. He's excited. <laughs> I want to get my fishing rod out again. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing we're going to do, Dirk, this year is we're going to look at channel catfish genetics. Okay. Now, the Red River of the North. Um, technically starts in Breckenridge, Wapaton yeah. area. Yeah, I drive over that bridge all the time. There's a ton of fish houses there. I don't know, they bundle out. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. So the Wadasu, I think, meets, and the yep. Outer Tail, those three, actually, the origin of the Red River, correct? Yeah, well, and it's funny. If we actually go back in history, the Otter Tail was named the Otter Tail because we wanted to put dams on it. Uh, oh. The Red River of the North was known as a navigable system back in the 1800s. So in order to n have dams for mills on the Otter Tail, they renamed that stretch of the Red the Otter Tail. 
So <laughs> yeah, so technically, <laughs> this the, is already the Odyssey. Uh, this yeah, is already the Red River. Exactly, but yeah. these days the Red River starts in Breckenridge. Yeah, and flows all the way up into Lake Winnipeg. Yeah, and there's channel catfish in there that we mentioned earlier, and we've uh, tagged those fish, and we know something about their movement within the system. Really? Yeah. And you can put a tag on a fish? Yeah, exactly. Not just on a bird? Yeah, and we'll talk about tagging oh, yeah, in yeah. just a second. I'll explain <laughs> that all to you. <laughs> but we've we've assumed that this population, based on the fish's movement, is all one interbreeding population of channel catfish from Breckenridge all the way to Lake Winnipeg. Okay. And part of the reason we think that is because we've seen tagged fish move several hundred miles annually within the Red River. Hmm. Um, it would not be unusual to see a channel catfish with a small home range or a small stretch of the river that it moves around in one year to be about 50 miles. A large home range... Up and down, so to say. Yeah. That's like his neighborhood. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, a large home range for channel catfish in the Red would be about 350 miles. Wow. So you can see that these fish are just highly mobile. So we think they're all interbreeding. So it's just one big continuous population. There's no mm. little subgroups. Um, think of it like a salmon run, mm. where there's just a distinct population that runs to a stream at a particular time of year and then breeds. We don't think that's going on, but it's an assumption. We've never actually tested it. Mm. So as part of our monitoring this year, we're going to be taking um, just tissue samples from the fins of these fish, and then with the U of M, we'll be processing those to see, you know, do we have one big population or do we have several small populations that just appear to be one big population? So you do gen genetic testing and you can identify families? Yes. Really? Yeah. So essentially what we're saying is, you know, there might be just a, a family in a way. Yeah, that mm -hmm. lives in the otter tail. Mm -hmm. There might be some just in this part of the red. There might be some just up in the Red Lake River. Yeah. But we don't know, so we're going to go looking. <laughs> and we also mentioned fish tagging a minute or two ago. And this is really exciting. Uh, I, I'm sure your listeners are aware of what a lake sturgeon is. Mm -hmm. A lake sturgeon is a swimming dinosaur. Mm -hmm. We can go back thousands of years in the fossil record and say, yep, that's a lake sturgeon. They've existed unchanged for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And earlier I mentioned dams. You know, over the years, uh, the Red River Valley had many, many barriers constructed. And like for the milling or yep, such? For the mills, um, or, or for railroads. Okay. Uh, we impounded water so we could draw water for steam engines oh. and that sort of thing. Um, and we also did it for flood control um, sure. to some extent. But what we've learned through all these fish movement studies is that if you want your fish within the river to do well, you can't have the river chopped up into small segments. Sure. They need to be able to move so they can access that entire neighborhood that we talked about. So Cage them in otherwise. Yeah, to some extent. And that caging in uh, with the lake sturgeon combined with overfishing led to the complete extirpation Why? of oh. lake sturgeon. They were gone for really? 125 years. We did not have lake sturgeon in the Red River. Oh, in the, okay, but in some pockets. Ah, yeah, and nope. the Red River were eliminated. Yeah, completely gone. Really? Yeah, so they were only up in Canada and in the Rainy River. Uh-huh. 
So in the early 1990s, the DNR, along with a lot of different partners, um, the province of Manitoba, the Red Lake and White Earth Indian Nations, um, let's see, we also had U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, North Dakota Game and Fish. We all got together and said, you know, we need to reintroduce these and bring this population back. And we've been doing that uh, very successfully for the past 30 years, partially by stocking, partially by removing dams and opening the river back up. And now what we're ready to do is tag these fish and see how they're moving within the system mm -hmm. because that'll help us monitor them into the future. Mm -hmm. And the way we do this, Dirk, is we essentially have listening stations set out in the Red River. Um, it's like a microphone underwater. And we have um, going to be about 25 of them spaced all around the Red River. Mm -hmm. Then when we go out in the spring and we sample the sturgeon, we essentially have a surgical unit on the bank of the river. And You're implementing a little... We're putting a little transmitter in those fish really? that essentially sends out Morse code. And based on the series of beeps that it sends out, we say, okay, that's fish A123. And you just you're listening past. to the, yeah. like, you're worse than the NSA. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a lake sturgeon, maybe. <laughs> we no, till we get okay. to the black helicopter yeah. that we're going to use. So really, so you're listening and they, okay, now I'm the critical thinker here. So does the interference or the beeping, does it? harm the the behavior of the fish do we know no not at all okay, I'm just yeah no it's but a great question you probably check that out yeah we do um, and the other thing we're also very careful about is our surgical technique because just like a veterinary surgeon you wouldn't want to harm the animal that you're implanting no it wouldn't so we yes. actually bring up a researcher from the University of Nebraska who's very good at this and he helps us with the surgery <laughs> and through all of this what we get to discover is are our sturgeon using the river the way we think they are? All these dam removal projects that we've done, are they benefiting things the way we think they are? Mm -hmm. And the sturgeon piece of this is just the newest part of this whole fish tracking in the Red River. This has been in place for about five years now and we've been tracking channel catfish movement, we've been tracking common carp movement, freshwater drum, as well as big mouth buffalo movement. Mm -hmm. And big mouth buffalo are another one that's just absolutely fascinating. Um, they're the largest of the sucker species. You may have seen them lately. Uh, someone caught a bright orange one. It was in the news. Oh. Um, we've also learned that these uh, get to be over 100 years old. Really? We didn't think they got that old. We Previously, we thought sturgeon held all the age right. records. They can get up to 150. Yeah, yeah. I knew that they can get really old. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're looking at fish movement throughout the entire basin to get an idea of, okay, we're improving the habitat. How's that improving the fishery? Are they able to use it? Are they able to get to their breeding grounds and then back to the river to feed, get to their overwintering grounds? And it's all just extremely fascinating how these fish are using space. Well, yeah, no, I, 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 I hear you. Now, one question that I have is we are obviously investing a lot of effort and yeah. probably also a lot of money, uh, which is fine. But um, now what's the 
gain for humankind? Like, if we, what, what do we apply if we look in science? Like, what does it help us? Like, do we protect water quality? I don't know. Do we like what? What do we? Yeah. What? Do, what is our learning then afterwards? Do we apply it to different uh, animals? I'm just curious. Like, yeah. because you're a scientist, mm -hmm. what is our overall achievement goal from the knowledge in yeah. 10 years? Well, what's really neat is the Red River is absolutely unique in North America in that with the return of the lake sturgeon, we have not lost a single native species that lives in the red. Okay. So think about that. On the landscape, how many times do you hear, you know, we change things, it's declining, we're losing species. Mm -hmm. In the Red River, we can honestly be quite proud of ourselves and say, we're taking actions to improve habitat to preserve all those native species that are there and still present. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of from the environmental moralistic pat on the back mm -hmm. standpoint. But then there's also the economic side of it. You know, these fisheries are a boon to the small towns near them. When we remove dams, what we do is we open up the upstream section for these fish that move a great distance mm -hmm. to come back into those stretches of the river and all of a sudden your city park that had a stream through it where people couldn't fish, now people can go down to the local county park and previously they may have been catching bullheads, now they're catching walleye, sauger, and these riverine species that have access to mm -hmm. those stretches of the stream again. We also, with the reintroduction of the lake sturgeon, are hoping to reestablish that population. And if you look at a lot of the small communities up on the Rainy River, they benefit enormously economically from the lake sturgeon fishery up there. Well, someday, wouldn't it be wonderful to have that back in the Red River and have all those fishermen coming to target those? Because right now it's only a catch and release season because we're still in the midst of reestablishing the population. Mm -hmm. But how neat would it be to have that in your local economy, as well as a lot of the lake resources that people perhaps are more familiar with. Mm -hmm. So by tracking the movements, we can just nurture the growth or like, yeah, I mean, well, what we're doing is we're looking at, you know, what habitats do these species need mm. to reproduce, grow, oh, okay. thrive and survive. And if we can identify that in some parts of the basin, well, we can then directly apply that knowledge to other portions mm, of the basin okay. and attempt to replicate our successes as well as learn from those areas that are failures. Oh, can we maybe identify that they stick around in an area that they really like? Yeah, absolutely. So they like ha find a spot and then they live there for the five years mm -hmm. maybe. And then we say, like, oh, this is a fruitful. Yeah, exactly. So we are learning something by knowing where they are and where they stay. Exactly. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm just curious. No, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, it's a lot like um, when we track animals on the landscape. Yeah, like um, birds now. Exactly. Everyone's familiar with I don't know why they do it, but bird they tracking do it. studies yeah. or, say, deer or even the big game over in Africa. Yeah. The way we learn about the habitat that things need is we need to know where they move and when. Oh, okay. So this is the same thing with fish. Right, right. Okay, okay. Um, is you just mentioned that the Red River is such a unique stream, mm -hmm. right? Isn't it the only north running river in the United States? Is it one of very few? It one definitely of very runs few. north, right? Yeah, one of very few. 
Is um, there a correlation? Like everything that goes north is better than goes. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like not that, that, that. No, no. But like, yeah. if it's north running, I don't know. Is there a different gravity or is there a different? No, nope. it's uh, just mineral? simply an know. accident of geology. An accident. Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, think yeah. it's an accident. Maybe I think it's purposeful. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm asking. No, what it is is just very simply water flows downhill. Sure. And it slopes all the way from Breckenridge. All the way to Hudson Bay. Yeah. So that continental divide, that is why it flows yeah. north. Yeah. Um, the slope is almost imperceptible in the Red River Valley. <laughs> it's one of the flattest flowing streams in the country. Is it? But it does, in fact, slope north, and that's why it f flows north. Yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, fascinating. <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, we have a lot going on. Um, uh, the tracking, uh, science uh, on in the fields, but yeah. What else is happening? Well, uh, we can talk one more science project <laughs> if you want. Yeah, if you have the time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, this one is a collaboration between uh, the Minnesota DNR and Manitoba Agriculture and Resource Development. Okay. Um, that's kind of our counterparts in that province. Yeah. And what we're doing here gets a little space-agey. Okay. Um, you know you have inner ear bones, correct? Yeah. Fish have a similar structure. Uh, it's kind of their ear bone. We call it an otolith. Don't they have sensors on the side of them? They do. Um, okay. But the way they orient themselves up, down, right, and left in the water column is with these otoliths. Imagine a hula hoop, if you will, with a rock in the bottom of it. And as you tilt that hoop, that rock is going to change position, right? Sure. That's how a fish knows what's upright, up, down, left, and right, is that otolith within that canal that would be represented by our hula hoop and our rock. So if it's sideways, it knows it's sideways? Exactly. That's why you don't see fish swimming upside down in the water column. Because they have, okay, that's their measure. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's their inner ear that gives them stability. Okay. So if we take that otolith out of a fish we can cut a very thin cross-section of it and look at it under magnification and it's going to look exactly like a tree ring. Mm -hmm. Think of how mm -hmm. you can age a tree on mm -hmm. a stump. Mm -hmm. You can do the same thing with this inner ear bone of a fish. Mm -hmm. And that's how we age fish oh, all across cool. the United States. Mm -hmm. What you can also do is take a small laser and shoot those tree rings on the fish's otolith. And you'll get a small wisp of smoke when you do this. Fish is dead, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. Fish is long <laughs> fish gone is at this already, point. Okay, it's open on the table. Okay. Yep. So we've taken the otolith. Yeah. We've sectioned okay. it. Okay. Okay. We've aged it looking at those tree ring-like structures. Okay. And then you shoot it. Now no. we shoot <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're shooting it with we do. Yeah, we yeah. do. Now okay, we shoot it with a laser. with a laser. Yeah. You yeah. Point. Right at Touch. those tree rings. Yeah. Yeah. And that little wisp of smoke can be read by a mass spectrometer, kind of like the CSI crime shows where they're trying to identify what is this mysterious substance. Really? Yeah. So from that smoke, we now have... Oh, lead or like ingredients that they ate? Yeah, you can do that. What they but have what been, what more it is, is the traces of the water chemistry where it was at right. that age. So it allows us to go... Pointed, like... <laughs> exactly. We can go back in time on the fish's location 
And so, sure. what, so what we're doing is we can say, okay, we have a map of the water oh, wow. chemistry of the Red River. He traveled like 1,500 miles. Yeah, and we can say, okay, here is the dead center of the otolith. That's the beginning yeah. of that ear bone mm -hmm. when the fish was a fingerling. Mm -hmm. Where mm -hmm. was it born? And well, we you need to have a database of all the waters around you and need yeah. to have those chemicals from 1990, 2000. Do you have water sample? Like, do you know that? Is yeah. that a database? Yeah, we have a map of the water chemistry. And the water chemistry, quite remarkably, is stable through time. Really? Yeah, and it's a function of the geology that the streams flow through. So they pick up certain trace elements based on the soil and the rock over which they flow. Okay. And that's how you separate different streams from each other. So what we can do is let's take a sauger because that's a really interesting sport fish for a lot of Minnesota anglers. We can take that otolith out. We can age the fish. Okay, it's a three-year-old sauger. But where was that sauger born? Well, let's use this approach. It's called otolith microchemistry. Huh. Let's shoot it with a laser right at the middle of that otolith from when it was a fingerling and reading that chemical signature of the smoke say, okay, well, we can say with... 90% probability that this is a Canadian sauger. Huh. This came from Lake Winnipeg. Or we could say, oh, this came from the Assiniboine River out on the Canadian Prairie. Or we can say, oh, this came from the Otter Tail River. Huh. And it's a fascinating way to look back in time at, okay, where is the natal origin? Where were these fish born? Hmm. And again, that gets to what we were talking about earlier, the habitat and the connectivity of these streams and it being relatively important. Because if we say, you know, 75% of the fish that we looked at came from this location, mm -hmm. well, what makes that location so special? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because if we randomly sample the fish population, well, we should get fish from everywhere. But if there's a strange mm -hmm. concentration, something very interesting and very important is happening at that spot. And we probably should know what it is. Hmm. So A, we can protect it, mm -hmm. and then B, we can try and replicate it to enhance fisheries mm -hmm. around the region. Hmm. So it's a really unique approach, and like I said, we're collaborating not only with partners around the state, but also internationally with the Canadians to do this. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really fascinating. Hope we didn't lose you there, Dirk. No, no, I, <laughs> I want to see the lab now. <laughs> that is really... So we just need 100,000 for the laser. Oh. That's all we need. <laughs> Fundraising, though, yeah, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, no, where we get it is a lot wow. of geology departments yeah. have this already. Okay. So it's just cross-pollination yeah. academically, making wow. more efficient use of taxpayer dollars. Right, yeah. Oh, it's, it's really fascinating. But, no, I, I like to hear the conclusion that, like, okay, we have overly many fish from this area, so then we zoom into, like, what caused the, the fertility or why is there so many, and then if we replicate that, environment and then we grow i mean now there's a science conclusion now that actually makes sense we just don't create data we actually read it and apply it then that's exactly that's something that i was trying to follow but well and and uh, canada has a major uh, interest in this because they are seeing some issues with their walleye and soccer populations in the winnipeg river and so it's important to note that the red river is an international resource and there's things that can happen in the states that affects Canada and Lake Winnipeg and vice versa, you okay, know, especially yeah. if we're seeing fish that are moving back and forth across this international border. So yeah. uh, 
as we could say. Yeah, I mean, Do they have passports. Yeah, yeah. Fish, fish, fish have no borders, you know, <laughs> and That's no passports. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, of course. You see, I mean, like now, but this goes. Uh, this is a pliable example, but that's how our doings affect uh, also our neighbors i mean we think about it but not often enough and now even as sportsmen and fishermen we say hey wait a second whatever wave we make it, it has an outcome in other places too so it's not just us like we are a community like whether we are fishermen or world citizens mm -hmm. uh, um, and collaboration with our neighbors to secure habitat i mean that is a perfect example of of um, working together yes for sure for sure yeah you know and that's why that's why so much work has already been done with catfish and all these other fish species is that Canada was um, they're interested to know how how international are these fish populations yeah and so they've been working with the University of Nebraska Lincoln to do a lot of work uh, especially with catfish to see how much are they moving and uh, where are or how old these fish are just to get, gather baseline information so about cool. them so that we can help manage them better. Yeah, so cool. So cool. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. No, you didn't lose me at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, quiet for once because I was really interested. <laughs> I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, yeah, I think um, you have to uh, head back to your offices. You yep, mentioned yep, and there's another do, so. appointment already. So I'm, I'm very happy you were able to squeeze this in for our fishery report mm -hmm. and uh, DNR update. And then you mentioned as early as late March or probably mid-April, we will be harvesting again at Dunton Locks. Yep. And yep. Um, I'm sure we have that uh, on our schedule. And you know, thank you very much for coming. Thanks, sir. And you have a good weekend ahead. You too. Yeah, it was nice to meet you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, this was already our uh, newest episode of the Lake Life Weekend podcast. We sure hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tune in again next week with another great guest and updates. Always check out our website, uh, lakelifeweekend.com. And if you have some comments, please feel free to email us at hello at lakelifeweekend.com. And uh, you have a wonderful weekend ahead. Uh -huh.